Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Every person in this room at one time or another, maybe even right now, uh, has found themselves in a situation uh, needing to be forgiven by someone. (laughs) You've done something, said something, gotten mixed up in something, and you've hurt somebody in some way, and you need to be forgiven. And then everybody in this room will at one time, if not right now, need to offer forgiveness to someone. Guarantee across this room, that's true of the vast majority of folks in here. Maybe everybody, maybe everybody, but that we find ourselves in a place where we need to forgive someone. We need to forgive someone. All kinds of, that's just a universal experience. (laughs) It just is. It's just a universal experience. And your experience may be an experience with a family member. That's, That's usually a big one. I mean, we get sideways with family members, and we gotta, we got to forgive them. Usually a family member or a friend or a co-worker, a business associate, a teammate, a fellow church member, somebody sitting in this room right now that you've been at odds with for 3, or 4, 5, 10, 12, 15, 20 years, and it's time for you to forgive them. Or it could be a total stranger, but we, it's a universal experience, this thing of forgiveness. And, and it can be difficult at times for us to grant that forgiveness I mean, let's just be, it can be, because our feelings get so wrapped up in it. Our our feelings are, our our emotions run high. We're hurt, we're angry. Our circumstances in our lives, because of what this person has done, our circumstances of life have been altered. Our our circumstances, our motives have been questioned. Our our, our family members are impacted by this. We've got this deep-seated anger and rage and maybe even bordering on hatred toward that person because of what they've done it just happens y'all it just happens it's life is what we all have to deal with and yet when it is this thing of forgiveness when it is genuinely and completely offered and granted to that person, it is a powerful thing because it speaks to the love and the power of God to change lives, their life and your life when forgiveness happens. One of the most powerful pictures that was seen of forgiveness happened. Some of y'all remember this. You're old enough to remember it. Some of you may have been little kids when this happened, but you still may remember that in 1991, there was a guy named Rodney King out in California. They got pulled over by some cops out there, and things went really south with the traffic stop. And the cops were caught on video, and this was way before cell phones were invented. So not, everything didn't get caught on video. Man, praise God there were not cell phones when I was a teenager. Amen. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness out there? So, but... But there were not, you know, cell, videos, you didn't have videos of everything that everybody in the world is doing right now. 
And so some amateur photographer, probably with a big old video camera up on his shoulder, saw this traffic stop happening out in front of his house and grabbed his video camera and started videotaping what was happening as Rodney King was getting beaten down by these cops. And there's a lot of different circumstances. I'm not going to go into all those circumstances, but if you know what happened there, you know that those cops were then uh, 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 arrested and brought to trial uh, for police brutality and maybe some other things. I, I can't remember what all the charges were that were brought against them, and yet they were acquitted of all their charges. That, that had moved over into the next year, 1992, and when they were acquitted of the charges, uh, Los Angeles, California, which was a powder keg already, just erupted into massive riots, um, just riots everywhere across the city. And I'm not talking about just demonstrations where people were walking down the street and holding signs and stuff. They were killing people. Fifty-three people died during those riots. There were stores and buildings and homes and everything burning down everywhere. It was terrible. It was terrible. It went on for days. And National Guard was called in. It was just crazy, 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 crazy. And then I remember this happened, and I saw this when it happened, and it blew me away. Because, again, we didn't see this kind of stuff. Now we're just immune. We're, we're, we're accustomed to seeing this stuff now. There was a guy named Reginald Denny. He was a white guy who was a truck driver, and he drove his truck through the middle of an intersection. He didn't know what was going on and pulled his, got out into the middle of this intersection right in the middle of one of these riots and didn't know what was happening. They, the guy, uh, he stopped his truck, and, and four guys jumped up on his, uh, his truck, yanked him out of the truck, and just started beating him mercilessly in the street right in the middle of that intersection, just beating him down, just beating and beating and beating and a news helicopter was overhead and the news helicopter started filming and videotaped the whole thing and these guys just were they were killing him they were killing him and he blood pouring everywhere the guy he was trying to get up he couldn't get up one guy was holding him down with his foot on his neck and another guy came up and had a cinder block over his head and took the cinder block and threw it down right on top of Reginald Denny's head, fractured his skull in 91 places. Luckily, there were some Good Samaritan guys that saw what was happening, and they came, and I think it were black and white guys that came to his rescue and pulled him up, got him out of there at the risk of their own life, and got him back into his truck. He couldn't see as he was bleeding so bad. His eyes were uh, bleeding. His eyes were messed up because he was beaten up so bad, and his head was fractured. skull was caved in, and... Uh, they got him in his truck and got him out of the intersection, got him to the hospital. And he lived tons and tons of surgeries, rehab, and uh, he still deals with a lot of complications. So anyway, those four guys that did that to him were caught, arrested, brought to trial. And they were acquitted of a lot of their charges, not all of their charges, but they were acquitted of a lot of them. And in the courtroom, Reginald Denny, after the, uh, the uh, verdicts were announced, Reginald Denny got up went over to the mom of one of the guys that had beat the dog out of him, tried to kill him, and went over to the mom. Her name was Georgina Williams. He walked over to her, and he put his arms around her, and he hugged her, and they began to cry together. And he said, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. When the other family members of the other boys saw what had happened, they came over. It was just an incredible picture of forgiveness right there in the middle of a Los Angeles courtroom. Well, there was a reporter there, and a reporter saw what was happening, and this is what the reporter wrote. It is said that Mr. Denny is suffering from brain damage. 
What a testimony of our society. It, 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 that for, for, for a lot of people, the only logical explanation for granting that kind of forgiveness to a bunch of guys like that is that you must have brain damage if you're going to forgive those guys for what they did to you. Well, then if that's the case, then Jesus had brain damage. Because right in the middle of the most famous prayer in the Bible, Jesus said, Forgive them their trespasses as they, as you forgive those who have trespassed against you, right? And if that wasn't enough, a few verses later in Matthew chapter 6, he said this. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, he said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. <laughs> well, Jesus must have brain damage if he's expecting me to forgive people some of the stuff folks have done to me. Man, Paul, Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3.13, he said, put up with each other. <laughs> you got anybody in your life that you got to put up with them? I mean, I love that, that verse of the scripture, that, that translation. Just put up with each other. But then he says, and forgive anyone who does you wrong, just as Christ has forgiven you. Oh, man, I wish you wouldn't say that. But he does. So we conclude this sermon series on Joseph's life. We come to the very, literally to the very end of his life, literally to the very end of the book of Genesis. So turn to Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 50. It is the last piece of Joseph's life. And we're going to see in these last few moments these, uh, of us looking at his life an incredible, powerful uh, display of forgiveness in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 26. If you've got your Bible, I hope you got it open. I hope you got your Bible, and uh, if not, try to look on with somebody. And let's stand up and read Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, and they said to him, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when, he spoke, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph, look at this, y'all. But Joseph said, to, these are the three verses we're really going to focus on. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, let me just finish it up. So Joseph remained in Egypt in his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him and was put in a coffin 
in Egypt. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. So help us now, Lord, during these few moments, we gather around your word to hear from your spirit, respond in obedience, and to glorify you in, in the way that we do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. All right, so as you can see, these verses are at the very end of Joseph's life. I mean, it says there, Joseph died. He was 110 years old. He died. So we're, we're finishing th this thing up, and we kind of have we kind of left out a, a pretty big chunk of Joseph's life from where we left off. So I want to fill in that gap for you real quick. Some of you know this story, but I'm going to do a real, a real brief Reader's Digest version of what's happened in Joseph's life up to this point. So you might remember all the way back in the beginning of the story of Joseph, that Joseph, his father, he's his father's favorite, coat of many colors, all of that. And you remember he had that dream when he was a kid that his brothers and his family were going to come and bow down to him. And that's what made one of the reasons why <laughs> brothers hated him so much <coughs> is because he said, hey, guys, one day you all are going to come bow down to me. And so they, they, they didn't like that. So he had that dream. And then you, you may remember that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, had a dream also. And in that dream, he dreamed of five fat cows and five skinny cows. And then he had a dream of five very ripe um, ears of grain and corn. And then he had a dream uh, uh, of seven. Did I say five? Seven uh, fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven uh, healthy, full grain ears of corn, and seven shriveled up ears, sick-looking ears of corn. And so Joseph had his dream brothers bowed down pharaoh had his dream seven fat cows seven, and so here so joseph then because god gave him the ability to interpret dreams joseph interpreted that dream for pharaoh and said hey the re the purpose of that dream is god was telling you there's going to be seven years of plenty where, you, where you, the crops are going to be great everything's going to be wonderful and then that's going to be immediately followed by seven years of famine and so while you're when you got the good stuff going on, you better be stockpiling a bunch because there's going to be seven years that's going to be bad. And so Pharaoh said, that's really cool that you said that. Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Let's make this guy the head of everything. So Joseph was made the governor of Egypt. He was in charge of all the grain production, all the food production, all the storage, and all the distribution of the food when the famine hit. The famine hit, just like God said it would, the famine hit. So now Joseph's brothers, who were living off in Canaan, they came because the famine was there too. They came to Egypt to buy some grain and food for their family because they were starving to death. So they showed up, and they came up to this guy that was the governor of Egypt. Guess who it was? It was Joseph. They didn't realize it was Joseph. They hadn't seen him since he was 17 years old when they chunked him down in that pit. Had no idea. He looked different. He was older. He was an adult man now living in Egypt, uh, and, and had no idea. They would have no way of knowing, knowing that Joseph was now in this place of huge authority and leadership in Egypt. They just came because their family's starving to death. So they came up to Joseph, and, and, and Genesis chapter 42, verse 6 said, Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him and put their faces on the ground in front of him. There's this dream fulfilled. Two verses later, it says, and Joseph's brothers didn't realize who it was. Joseph's brothers did not recognize. He recognized them. He knew it was their brothers, his brothers. They didn't recognize him. And so what happened after that is Joseph just kept, without letting them know who he was, he just kept taking care of his family. He kept sending food back to his family. 
He kept doing a lot of different things. It's really cool. Go back and read the stories. It's just a wonderful story. Until finally, Joseph couldn't stand it anymore. And Genesis 45 says this, 45 verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everybody get out of here. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He couldn't stand it any longer. He had to let his brothers know that it was him. And so verse 2 says, he wept aloud. He was crying so loud that all the people of Egypt, the Egyptians outside heard him. And all the household of Pharaoh, he was wailing. And, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. I am Joseph! Exclamation point in my Bible. Is my father still alive? Hadn't seen his father in years and years and years and years. His daddy's still alive. Can you imagine the emotion of this moment? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were probably just like mouth open. You know, and then maybe they went, his eyes, I can see it is Joseph, you know, or, or it's, uh, his mannerisms, man, I remember, you know, whatever. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to the grace in that. Listen to the mercy that Joseph is showing to his brothers right now. And he said, don't be angry or distressed because, listen, because this is Joseph's perspective. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. Amazing. And then all of the, you've got to remember that all of these things happened. Do you remember one of the things we said over and over about Joseph's life is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with, that's what Genesis says over and over again in those chapters that we read about Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph when he was in prison, when he was in the pit, when he was in Potiphar's house, when he's been made governor of Egypt. The Lord was with him and Joseph knew that and he said, God sent me here. You you threw me in the pit. You sold me into slavery. But God sent me here. Oh, man. What a perspective. And the truth of the matter is, he offered forgiveness to his brothers because of that. Because he knew God was doing this. He knew that God had put him there. And he didn't know how God was going to work all this out. We have the luxury of having the Bible, being able to read the story. Joseph, he was in the middle of it. He didn't know it. All he knew was that God was in control of his life. And because of that, he was able to offer complete forgiveness to his brothers. And so the application for this message today is that as, as Christ followers, as Christ followers, our forgiveness for others must be genuine and complete. So what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we experience the life-changing power of forgiveness? There are three principles that I want to give you in just a real few minutes. So hang on, let's jump in these real quick. Number one, principle number one is that remember, we have to remember our proper position. Remember our proper position. Verse 19, back in Genesis chapter 50 again, remember what I said there. Verse 19, Joseph said, am, he asked that question, am I in the place of God? 
And when you look at this, man, in every, listen, listen, think about this now. Just come, stay with me and think about this. In every interaction that Joseph had with his brothers, every time they came to him, and they came to him multiple times needing food, needing grain, stuff, every time they came, they didn't know who he was until Genesis 45. And every time they came, he held the upper hand. He was in complete control of that situation. These guys were groveling. we got to have some food. Please, please, governor, please give us some food for our family. We'll, here's what, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you. Here's what we have. He had the upper hand every time. Every time. He always held the trump card. Every time. He could have wielded his power and his authority, and he could have made his brother's lives miserable. And boy, wouldn't you have liked to have done that? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Y'all bowing down to me now. Hmm. Threw me in the pit. I'll show you. Got me sold into slavery. You just wait. You think I had it bad in prison? You watch what I'm going to do. Every time he had the opportunity to do that, he didn't. He could have had them killed. He could have had them executed. And yet when they came to him after their father's death, remember I read that? Their father Jacob had died. Joseph's father Jacob had died. And at this point, they probably thought, okay, <laughs> now that daddy's dead, now Joseph's going to lower the bone. Boom. He's probably, he's probably been waiting. He's probably been waiting until daddy was out of the picture. He's probably not, not killing us or not destroying us. Just because daddy wouldn't want him to do that. But now that daddy's gone, isn't that what happens in families sometimes? Yeah. So they came scared. Look, our father has died. And do you see his, Joseph's first response? His first response showed his, his true heart, his tender heart. He wept. He wept. Probably wept because his father had died, but he wept because his brothers are there in front of him going, you know, in their minds, probably thinking, please don't kill us, Joseph. Please don't kill us. And he wept knowing there's no way I would kill you guys. There's no way I would do that to y'all. Showed his tender heart, and then he showed his true humility when he said, am I in the place of God? That humility thing is a piece of the puzzle that you and I have got to learn. The only way that we're going to be able to forgive people, the only way our hearts are going to be tender toward people that have wronged us, and I'm not saying this is easy, but the only way our hearts are going to be tender toward those who have wronged us, and the only way we're going to be able to forgive those who have wronged us is if we are humbling ourselves before the Lord. And if we recognize that the grace and forgiveness that has been shown to us must be shown to others as well. James said in James chapter 4, verse 10, he said, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, he said, In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Other people are better than you. God is better than all of you. You're down here. We are down here. Humble yourselves. Make yourself low. So that others will be above you and God will be above all of you. See, we don't like that, man. I don't like that, John. I don't like that. But it's so necessary. 
And the psalmist said in Psalm 25, verse 9, says, God leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. You see, that's why we got to stay humble, because God will teach you. He will lead you in what is right. And what is right? Forgiving others. He will teach you what is right. What does he want to teach you? He want to teach you, he wants to teach you that forgiveness is right. But you got to be humble to learn that. Because you know what? When somebody hurts us, man, we know we want we want God's justice poured out on them, and we want God's mercy poured out on us, right? We want them to hurt as much as we hurt or more. We want to feel if we feel in pain, we want them to feel ten times more pain than we feel. If if we if we've lost something, we want them to lose even more. If our lives have been negatively impacted, we want their lives to be impacted even deeper. Isn't that how we react? Come on, let's say, you know it is. You don't want to say amen because I ain't a good time to say amen in the sermon, but that's what we feel. That's how we feel. And it feels right to us. Man, that feels right. You got that right, John. Boy, you got that right. And it said, yet it's, it is so contrary to the way that God wants us to live, that we have to humble ourselves before the Lord and let Him work through us so that we might be able to forgive that other person. So we got to get in the proper position. And that position is low, low, low. Letting God work. The only, the only way jo Joseph was able to forgive was that he knew that God is the perfect judge that God will deal rightly with each person and that God is in complete control. Which leads to the next point. You need to just rest in God's sovereignty. You need to rest in God's sovereignty. You need to remember your proper position, which is a humble position before the Lord. And the reason you want to be humble before the Lord, because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now, you've heard that word sovereign. You've heard us say that God is sovereign, so let's define it. What does it mean? Let me tell you what sovereign, the fact that God is sovereign means. It means that it's the term that we use to express the supreme rulership of God. It is his exercise of power over his creation. It is, it is his supreme and absolute authority as ruler over all creation. J.I. Packer, theologian, said this, God's dominion is total. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills, and none can stay his hand or thwart his plans. What does that mean in real life for us right here today? It means this. It means that when something bad happens to you, Anybody ever had anything bad happen to you? Raise your hand if you ever had it. Okay, so we're all in that. That's silly. Because we've all had bad things to happen to us. And sometimes those bad things have happened because somebody has messed us up. And so when those bad things happen, we have two options. At that moment, Christ follower, you have two options. Number one, you have to decide. Number one, either God is sovereign, remember, in control of everything, Either God is sovereign and in his sovereignty and for his reasons, he has allowed this thing to happen. Or number two, 
God is not sovereign and this thing just slipped by him. And so you've got to decide what do you believe about God. You need to settle in your mind what you believe about God. Either he's sovereign or he's not. And if he is sovereign, that means that he is the God, the sovereign God who, according to Ephesians 1.11, makes everything work out according to his plan. So you can rest in his sovereignty. Because when we know and believe that, then we will know and believe that nothing, even the acts of evil done against us, will change God's plan. That's why Joseph could say what I think is one of the coolest verses in the Old Testament, verse 20. As for you guys, hey brothers, as for you, you meant it for evil. You were trying to kill me. You are trying to get rid of me. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God was at work the whole time. That verse is the Old Testament equivalent of my favorite verse in the New Testament, Romans 8.28. That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And man, when you rest in God's sovereignty then you're able to trust, you know, this, this ain't fun. This hurts a lot. This is really difficult. But i got to believe, and I do believe that God is in control. And I may not even see it this side of heaven, but I'm going to trust that he's at work in this situation. It's like one pastor said. He said, you may not like it, but you've got to submit to the sovereignty of God in your life when someone wrongs you. Although you may not know the reason this side of eternity, God sovereignly allowed this person to wrong you for some purpose. To forgive the person as God's commands, you must submit to God's mighty hand in this situation. So you can just rest in his sovereignty, that he's in control. And then finally, you've got to remain focused on kindness and love. That's what Joseph said there at the end. Hey, guys, don't fear. I'm going to take care of you and your kids from now on. Come on, let's just get honest. We want to get even, don't we? <laughs> we man, come on, John, don't, don't end on this kindness stuff, man. Tell me I can get even, man. Tell me I can get even. It's like a, <coughs> like a story I read about this, this truck driver pulled into a I take it back, these three bikers, big biker dudes, pulled into this truck stop. Big, burly, ugly guys got off their motorcycles, walked in this cafe, and there's this little scrawny truck driver sitting at the counter there eating his lunch. So they walked in all tatted up and all this stuff, walked over to him, and they pushed him aside and grabbed his food, started eating his food, and, and just met, you know, just being total jerks, bullies. He didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. He got up. Went and paid his bill and he left. So one of the truck drivers, I mean, one of the bikers, was kind of mad that he didn't get a rise out of this guy, and they didn't get to fight him and beat the tar out of him, beat him into a bloody pulp. And so the biker turned to one of the waitresses and said, "Man, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he?" And the waitress said, "No, I guess not." And then she looked out the window. And she said, "You know, I guess he's not much of a truck driver either because he's running over three motorcycles right now." So. <laughs> Well, that feels good, doesn't it? See, we just want to get even. 
We want to get even. The world says don't get mad, get even. And God says something really different than that. God says show kindness and love and compassion. And stay focused on love and compassion. Love and kindness. Isn't it crazy that the last recorded words, some of the last recorded words that we have from Joseph is him telling his brothers, don't worry, guys. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of your kids. You don't care about yourself, but you care about your kids, don't you? And you hear somebody say, I'm going to take care of your kids. You go, man, that guy loves me. That guy really has forgiven me. He really has forgiven because of love and kindness. You know why? Because that's such a picture of Jesus. Did, those, did his brothers deserve that? Heck no. But because Joseph recognized, he, he knew his proper perspective, he, his position. God's in control. God's sovereign. I'm here. God's here. I'm going to rest in his sovereignty. I'm going to let him work this thing out. And I'm just going to keep showing forgiveness and kindness and love and grace and mercy. It ain't easy, y'all. But by the power of God, who is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can and we must show forgiveness. So, close this thing up today. Just ask you, ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, across the room. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. One simple question today. One simple question today. Who needs your forgiveness today? Who do you need to forgive today? Whoever the Holy Spirit just brought to your mind, their face is in your mind right now. Their name is on your mind right now. And that's who you need to pray for right now. First of all, you need to pray if you have not forgiven them and there is unforgiveness in your heart, then I don't, I, you know, I just got to tell you, I, I don't want to tell you, but I have to tell you, you might not like hearing it, but if you have unforgiveness toward that person, you're in sin. It ain't on them, it's on you. You're in sin. I, you know, no, I don't know what they've done to you. Well, you, if you only knew, if you only knew, I don't know. I'm just telling you, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart and life right now toward that person, you are the one that is in sin right now. And you, got, you can't do anything about their sin, but you can do something about yours right now. And so you confess that to the Lord if you're still in unforgiveness and get forgiven of that right now. Get that junk out right now. And then in your heart right now, you forgive that person. You forgive them. You offer them grace and mercy and kindness and love right now. John, if you own, I, uh, I'm just telling you what the Word of God teaches us and what the Lord wants us to do. And maybe you need forgiveness because you've never given your life to Christ. And that's why you're having such a hard time because you truly don't know the forgiveness that you could know right now. Forgiven people are the ones who are, who are much more likely to forgive because we understand how messed up we were when we got forgiven of our sins and saved by Jesus. So if you need Christ, come to Jesus and be saved today. Be forgiven completely of your sins so that you can now forgive others.
So, Father, I pray that you'll move in this place today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your spirit's presence with us, in us, and among us now. So you move and help us to respond in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray.